Well, hey, Brian, look who it is. It's the Wheel of History. I didn't think there was going to be a Wheel of History for this episode. Well, I guess we should do a dry run just to make sure that the, the wheel is functioning. Yeah. 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 Give, it, give it a spin. Okay. No. Oh. Oh, my. Uh, what the hell is wrong with it? What are you doing? Why, why are you well, making that knowing, noise? Knowing the wheel, this is not surprising. Yeah, but still. Uh, well, hey, hey, wait, hang on. Let's read the ticker tape. Hi, boys. The Wheel of History is at a meeting in Barbados. Barbados? The I, hell does he get to go to Barbados? I have no idea. Uh, I'm his cousin, the Wheel of Hysteria. Oh. Huh. Welcome to Nerds on History. I'm Brian Moriarty. And I am Eric Brickbond. Well, sir, how have you been? I'm feeling better. You know, I was sick last week. and You look better. You look healthier. I feel a lot better. I'm, I'm still a little congested, but I'm, I'm good. I'm even back on my exercise, uh, you know, plan like I've been doing, like I've been losing. Uh, we're going to have to change the name of the show soon, because uh, I think it's going to have to be called Nerds Getting Skinny. Maybe, yeah. How much have you lost? Because we've both been actively trying to lose weight, right? Yes, we have. How much have you lost? I've lost 11 pounds at this point. That's freaking awesome. I've lost um, a little over nine, so I'm rounding up to 10 because it makes me feel better. So I'm telling people Wow, good job, sir. Yeah, no, it feels great, man. It feels really good. And, I'm, you know, neither one of us are, like, obese. We're just a little chunky. And we, we, we want to get healthy and slim down. So uh, we're making that happen, folks. Yeah, yeah. And they say that slower weight loss is the... Uh, more healthy route of going it and that's fine i mean i've been at this about 10 weeks now so having about 11 pounds down is good that yeah, means it's great a little more than a pound a week that's excellent according to dietitians if the if you lose it at that pace you're more likely to keep it off for good that's good so yeah i've i've lost yeah. it a bit quicker but i think i'm slowing down now and part of it is just my body was yeah. like uh get this off of me yeah and uh to be totally candid with with our audience i mean there was a point in time where we both have been Way heavier than we are. Yeah. yeah. Um, about nine years ago, I was at the heaviest I've ever was. I was at about 260 pounds or so. I was almost exactly the same. I think I was just a few pounds more than that. And I lost, I went down to 190, which is actually way too skinny for yeah. me. I, that, look, I was down to 180 at my lowest. Yeah. Now I'm about 222 at this point. So Yeah, I'm, I'm 232 right now. So yeah. I, you know, the funny thing is we both carry our weight really well. Yeah. So we don't look as overweight as we actually are. And uh, I, I found my, my happy place is like 200. Like yeah, 200 and just a little under that maybe is fine, like 190 maybe. But that was even kind of too 195 skinny. I think to me is my happy balance. That's yeah. what I'm trying to go for. Cool, dude. Yeah. This is great. I'm glad we're both getting healthier. Definitely. And uh, we also don't need much help either because it is uh, very warm in the nerd cave right now. In fact, in San Jose, California, at 9 o'clock at night, it is still 77 degrees outside. Yeah, it's like 81 in here, but it's yeah. super comfortable. It is. I love it. I mean, I'm I'm in shorts and a t-shirt right now. Took my flip flops off. It's, it's kind of like I'm on vacation, kind of, just without <laughs> without a pool or a nice cocktail. I could wear so. like a parka in 90 degree heat, and I'm fine. Well, you just you're insane. Um, you know what's not insane, and totally healthy for our listeners. Listener feedback. This week in listener feedback. Well. Asking you shall receive. We went from a week for having no feedback whatsoever uh, to jumping into uh, now having 
plentiful emails to more than we can read verbatim. Yeah. So we're going to have to paraphrase some of this folks. Uh, not that your feedback wasn't valuable and awesome. It's just, you guys wrote a lot this week. Uh, but the first piece comes from Ryan. Uh, and this one actually, I don't need to paraphrase cause it's, it's literally, simple. We, we got it literally like three or four hours ago. Yeah. Uh, subject is Fanime. Are you guys going to be at FanimeCon? FanimeCon, for those who don't know, is all about anime. We talked about it, alluded to it on the show previously. It's here in San Jose, Memorial Day weekend uh, every year. And, you know, we, we were hoping to do it this year. It looks like it's probably going to have to be next year because we have been so swamped and busy. We yeah. just don't have the time. And by that, he means we were going to try to have a table there. Yeah. And I know I'm going to make my best effort to attend just because I've never been. It'd be kind of cool just to go. Yeah. I already know that week is blocked out for me. So I, there's no way I can go. I've been there before, though. Yeah. And if you've seen me, I was wearing my Riker uniform. Yeah. And then I had a sign around my neck and it said, I think I'm at the wrong con. Uh, but I spelled it, you know, funny, like, like con. And uh, what I actually went as was not will riker because i shaved off the side of my beard and just wore a uh, goatee you were his uh, mirror universe or his evil twin basically close i was his transporter duplicate accident twin brother thomas riker okay yeah yeah it was like the, the tng way of working in the mirror universe basically more or less yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've well actually they did that with just DS9, let me have my but moment, still okay just say yeah. let me have my moment <laughs> Anyway, Ryan, sorry. Uh, if you're going to go, hey, send us some pictures, though. Send us the nerdiest thing that you, you've seen there. And if you see anything uh, history-related, uh, well, that's cool, too. Our next piece of feedback uh, comes from Mark. It says, cutting to the truth. And I'll have to paraphrase as well. But, you know, he says, what's up, nerds? He's uh, been a longtime listener, which we appreciate. Um, he wanted to make a comment on our circumcision episode, which is don't get snippy with me. We, we covered some really great... Rite of passages is what we called it, mm -hmm. right? It wasn't yep. just circumcision. It was all about coming of age kind of rituals. And we mentioned, of course, the circumcision ritual that takes place in the Philippines with the uh, with the, the skirts. Uh, that was a comment that we get from Cam. We've gotten lots of great feedback with different cultures who practice circumcision. Nothing gets people talking, like cutting yeah. off a foreskin. Uh, he had a couple things he wanted to mention. Uh, one was that in the Victorian era, circumcision was uh, when w it really caught on there as from the Western culture, from, from the non- uh, Jewish or non-specific cultures where you need to um, go, or where this is part of their practice. And he mentions that it was used as a method to prevent young boys from masturbating. Again, we go back to this self-abuse thing. And he mentions that Dr. Kellogg, who was friends with Reverend Graham, who who to think that graham crackers and cornflakes <laughs> have such evil... Uh, you know, and are creators. so closely connected to masturbation. Yeah, it's it's so weird. Uh, so Dr. Kellogg believed that it should have been done to young boys, not infants, and done without anesthetic as proof of uh, or to prevent masturbation, which is just utterly barbaric. Which we agree with. That uh, Dr. Kellogg also believed that it was totally okay to pour cure, uh, pure carbolic acid upon a woman's clitoris. Um, so uh, did anyone kill this guy? I was curious. No, but keep in mind that this is the, in the Victorian era. Sexuality was completely and utterly disdainful. It was meant. It was had. It had no place in the public sphere. Any form of thing. Any form of expression of sexuality that was not expressly for the means of procreation was to be shamed. This quote, "female circumcision," unquote, pisses me the hell off. Oh, it, yeah, and it's probably one of the most disgusting things anyone can do to anybody else. Yeah. And you know what? If you want to, if you want to do the same thing, then why don't you cut off a guy's frenulum too? Because that's pretty much yeah. the, the male equivalent. Exactly, or just cut it all off. Yeah. So it's um, 
If you guys don't know what the frenulum is, Google it. <laughs> you'll, you'll under, guys, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> um, uh, and he also mentions that a lot of the health, quote-unquote, benefits of it are largely disputed now. And he mentions that there's a website called DukeHealth.org where you can go and check that out. He does close by saying he, he's not pro or, or against uh, circumcision. People can do what they want, but he does believe in making informed decisions. So, Mark, thank you for sharing that with us. And for our entertainment, he also sent us a link to a funny YouTube video about circumcision, which we will watch after the episode. All right. Uh, next piece, uh, this comes from our Facebook page and from Kaylee Ann. Just finished Pirate Prenup, and it was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I only had one issue with your background discussion before the good stuff started. In North America, women are still fighting to be paid an equal wage. Currently, women earn 77 cents for every dollar a man earns, regardless of the work involved. It's certainly a better ratio than it used to be, but it's still not equal. And considering how many single moms versus single dads there are, the extra 23 cents would improve poverty levels drastically. Not to mention how hard women in North America are still fighting for the right to make their own decisions about their own bodies. I only know a little bit about the whole Obamacare deal. I am Canadian, and so my health care is covered. But I had heard a debate about whether women should have to pay a higher premium because our bodies are capable of doing more than men's bodies. That's ridiculous. Have you ever heard that? No. Whoever's I, saying that is an idiot. She continues and says, it was on a news show, and I don't think it, it's actually part of the Affordable Care Act. I can't imagine it would be. Uh, if it is, then it should be removed immediately. Uh, but I just thought that some men think women should pay more because they aren't quote-unquote normal is kind of sickening. Yeah, we agree with you. Uh, especially since, as you pointed out, the ability to bear children is what keeps society going. There are plenty of men... Uh, in North America, who do believe women should do nothing but have babies and pay more for the privilege to have babies, but God forbid a woman need an abortion or even worse, want an abortion, even when we're willing to pay through the nose for it, which we shouldn't have to do. Well, so, that would depend on your definition of men. Yeah. <laughs> by that regard. Uh, so yes, things are better uh, here than in many places, but equality is still a long way off. And that's without discussions on the whole rape culture that our society unconsciously subscribes to still, i.e. victim blaming and shaming. Anyway, good episode. Thanks. She also had another comment on the page, of, you know, talking about other powerful women that she thought would be great for a follow-up episode like, you know, um, uh, Queen Elizabeth I and, and what have you. There are a few other great suggestions on there. Uh, Kaylee Ann, uh, thank you so much for your feedback and you know, you've got a lot of really fantastic opinions here and a lot of really interesting ones. And when I was talking about women equality and how, how it has improved, I 100% acknowledge that it's nowhere near where it needs to be. I think from my standpoint, looking at the, the entirety of history, of recorded history, and seeing how women started so strong and then have ended up where they are now and how they're fighting to get back to where they need to be, where they rightfully should be, uh, I can't help but still see the significance of the improvements over the past 50, 60 years. Be that as it may, though, 100% agree with Kaylee. And to your point that you made right after, during that very discussion, that it's still a long way off. There is still a lot of work that needs to be done. Yeah. And becoming complacent in the progress we've made is not progress at that point. It just becomes a new normal. And the new normal shouldn't be there until those barriers just don't exist. I agree. For anything. I agree. Matter. So, uh, 
So thank you for bringing those up. And we love your suggestions. By the way, I wanted to throw one back at you. Since you mentioned Grace O'Malley, the Irish pirate queen who uh, had to negotiate with Elizabeth I, as you mentioned, because you were talking about Shang-Chi, check out the musical, The Pirate Queen. It was based off of her life. It was written by the same authors as wrote Les Miserables. No shock that I would know that. Um, and it didn't last very long on Broadway. It was uh, a very expensive failure, unfortunately. But the entire rehearsal process of it has been documented through YouTube videos. So if you're interested, check that out. Nice. Andrew, we appreciate your feedback for the Samurai vs. Ninja episode. We, we don't have enough time to read it this week. We will, we will follow up with you next week on it. Yes, and even still, we will have to paraphrase because he wrote a lot, but a lot of really great information, and we will address it next week. We just, we got to get to this episode, man. I know, I agree. We got to make this episode happen. Yep. Because what are we talking about today? We are talking about, well, first of all, we are continuing our monthly... May I suggest something? Still not 100% on that theme title. You know what? We're already two-thirds through the month here. Come on. Just just accept it. Fine. It, it exists. Yep. Mm-hmm. Just kind of wish you'd brought me in. I like the, the background music, too. It's kind of funky. Just, it's dramatic, and it's cool. I just wanted to be part of the discussion. That's all. You can do the next one. So it's fine. Well, fine. Then I'm going to choose something also like that. <laughs> and you have to just... You'll have to just deal with it. So If it's like that, I'll probably love it. Anyway, yeah. go, go, go ahead. Come on. Okay. This episode, we are talking about 10 of history's craziest monarchs. Uh, it's, and by that, I should, we shouldn't really say the most crazy. I think we, we these are 10 of the craziest because there's plenty yeah. of very eccentric, to say the least, monarchs that we do not have on our list uh, that we just decide not to mention because they're already well known, I think. Yeah, and I think that there's there's room to do a follow-up episode and a sequel to this and explore it you know, in more detail with some of these other folks. But um, some of these folks aren't even all that crazy. They're just, they're really, really just horrible. Yeah. I mean, they show obviously signs of some sort of mental instability because you can't think to yourself, you know, somebody who's doing these things is obviously well-adjusted. They're not well-adjusted, but they may not all be certifiably insane. Some of them certainly are. Um, but some, like Farouk of Egypt, are just, you know, nasty, gluttonous, spoiled, rich, womanizing jerks. <laughs> Which I think is, for your portion of the list, absolutely. I feel like for mine, uh, the ones I I found, mine are much more sad. Like, they're these are guys, like you said, that clearly have some signs of, of mental illness. And just there, we didn't have a word for describing other than just that they were mad. But if yeah. you look at the symptoms of these, granted, I'm no psychologist, that's more Roxy's territory. But you look at these symptoms and you can't help but notice some things that we would have a modern classification for, that we would have a way of treating now. Yeah, there's plenty of indications of schizophrenia, um, folks suffering from maybe uh, seizure-induced behaviors. Right. Uh, some some stuff that, you know, in a modern world today with the medicine and knowledge that we have, we could have treated them. And these people could have lived completely and totally normal lives and not ended up in the kind of sad and tragic stories that, that befell most of them. Right. Well, why don't we get started, shall we? Let's do it. I'd like to start off with a person we mentioned last week, which was uh, we mentioned Charles VI of France, also known as Charles the Mad. Right. And we were talking about how he was a, one of the key monarchs in the Hundred Years' War between England and France. Um, for each of my monarchs, I have down when they were born, when when they became the monarch, and how long they reigned for. So Charles VI was born in 1368, and uh, he reigned from 1380 until his death in 1422. That means he was 12 years old when he assumed 
the throne. And you will find a very common connection between a lot of these. A lot of these monarchs yeah. became monarchs very, very young. And they, it's not uncommon. I mean, that does happen actually. Yeah. There's a lot of monarchs that became young, but some of these folks had very troubling childhoods, mm-hmm. and you can see exactly where it started and what led into it. Oh, we could do a case study on this if we wanted to. Yeah. This is a psychologist's uh, dream. So interesting because he was so young, he didn't really know any better. He had his uncles be his advisors from ages 12 to 17. Uh, and his uncles happened to be the Dukes of Burgundy, Anjou, and of uh, Berry and Bourbon. Uh, which I find interesting because we talked about the Duke of Burgundy. Uh, not the same Duke of Burgundy, I think, but I'm assuming that would have been his, his son and the key role he played in allying with the English later on during uh, the war. So I just find that very, very interesting. Uh, when he reached maturity, he canned his uncles and he brought back the advisors of his father, actually, who was Charles V. At about 1392, so that by this point he would have been 22, 23 years old, uh, he had his first bouts of madness. And the way they are described was that uh, he he would develop a fever and he had developed convulsions. And the first time this happened was when they were uh, he was hunting with his, his court, basically with his, his friends. And uh, he had a string of 44 attacks in, in this, in this one event. Wow. Uh, during which he became incredibly violent. And he was also known for having these for months on end, he'd be have these fits and then for months he'd be completely normal. And, uh, you know, aside from having these, these fevers and convulsions, you know, if anyone got near him, he pretty much straight up murdered them. You know, he, he would, he killed them. And when I hear that, I immediately think about epilepsy. You know? Yeah. Now, I mean, we don't know all the details, right? Because they didn't document all this kind of stuff this far back. But I see it and I see those symptoms and I can't help but think about that, you know, when people who are epileptic are having seizures, the one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to come in contact with them because they, they may violently react. And when you talk about convulsions, not every epileptic seizure is one that involves convulsing, but it's certainly a common trait, right? So it just, it stands out in my mind right away. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to kind of deny it. It, it, it. Obviously, like you said, we're not psychologists and we're not, uh, we're not able to really say it with any certainty, but you know, it sounds like there could be something deeper going on, something medical related. And, you know, when you have the monarch have these bouts of, of violence, it, it definitely causes a stir among the court, right? And so much so that it caused the Dukes of Burgundy, Berry and Orléans for a struggle for power. You know, there is, and this is a point in time where in Europe, you know, the higher ranking nobles were always politically struggling. Uh, the Duke of Orléans was also the brother of Charles. So he would have been the next in line. So, of course, it would make sense to have him gain supporters and have him be deposed in order for him to take the throne, you know. What is also interesting is that part of during his rule, I thought, uh, in addition to this hundreds of years war with the English, he also had a civil war breakout between two factions, the Armagnacs and the Burgundians. So when we were talking about those Burgundian soldiers that were taking place during, you know, when Joan of Arc was captured, that comes to part of it too, you know, that you have these factions going on. And finally, in 1396, he actually arranged a 26-year truce between England and France, with uh, who at this point, this is Richard II, who was the monarch. And he, uh, here's what's kind of odd. This is showing that he wasn't all that balanced besides the epilepsy. Part of the arrangement was he promised Richard uh, his daughter, Isabel, as his wife. Uh, Isabel was six at the time that this arrangement was made. So, you know, granted, there's plenty of times in European history where 
arranged marriages were made and then they don't get acted upon until a child reaches sure. a, a adolescence or adulthood. Very common in many, uh, many societies. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure. I, I want to assume all the best regards in, in thinking that, yes, that's what was intended <laughs> in this case and not a child being promised as the wife of, of, a, of a monarch. You know, unfortunately, I think with any king who has those mental instabilities, he had a hard time maintaining power as well. So he had a couple of pretty bad defeats when he was on the throne. And there was a defeat by the English at, at uh, Agincourt, during which he agreed to the, the Treaty of Troy. That was the document that declared his son illegitimate. And this is why this is so important. Because obviously he wasn't illegitimate. He was completely legitimate. But basically was to allow the English monarch to take over. Uh, he wanted to establish a co-monarchy. So the marriage would have been between Henry V, who was the son of the English monarch, and his daughter Catherine, La Belle. So they were basically to be married and become the co-monarchs of both England and France. Uh, what's funny, though, is that Henry and Charles died in 1422, both at the same time, which rendered the agreement void. <laughs> but here's the funny thing. As a result, Henry and Catherine's son uh, was named Henry VI, and he was declared the king of both England and France. And he was 10 months old <laughs> when that happened. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, very weird. I think he had a bad rap. Yes, obviously he had the epilepsy that would not be known for at least a few hundred more years, you know. But that being said, you know, he also had the fact that he was dealing with a war that he had inherited and he had to pass on as well. And uh, he was dealing with the power struggle, you know, that he was constantly having to fight off. So I can't help but feel a little bad for him. Yeah, I mean, he, he clearly was a very sick man. I remember reading something about his hair and nails falling out. I think that was in, uh, let me see, yeah, 1392. Uh, suffered a mysterious illness and it was, you know, very debilitating to him. And after that, he had these just sudden bouts of just insanity. Uh, to a point where, at one point, he drew his sword and killed four of his own men before he was able to be overpowered. Yeah, and again, this goes back to those convulsions and those those seizures a bit that basically were going on. And maybe because he was so used to being approached when those things were happening, he probably just reacted, you know, Yeah. to defend himself. It's terrifying. Sure, it is. And I can't imagine what he was going through internally with those reactions, you know? Yeah, sure, the stress of being a ruler... And being a ruler in a time when you are continually losing, uh, you know, ground and, and control and then losing ground and control of your own body and mind, uh, it's unimaginable. Well, sir, who do you have on as first on your list? Oh, just a wacky little guy called Christian VII of Denmark. Wow. <laughs> this guy is really quite, um, quite interesting because he is all over the place. Some of the stories that have been told about him, some people think may have actually been a bit, bit of propaganda, but uh, some of them were just too explicit and detailed to not really be true. Uh, that, From the research that uh, I've kind of referenced and from the, the articles they've cited, the books they've cited, everyone more or less agrees that this guy just was off his rocker from the very beginning. And we're talking about the, the time in which he reigned. In this case, he was born in 1749. Uh, he died in 1808. And he spent the majority of that time on the throne. Now, whether or not he was totally uh, effective during that time uh, is, as you will see from my description of him, uh, clearly not the case. 
In fact, he had, from the very beginning of his reign at the age of 17, pretty much people helping him every step of the way. And uh, his mental illness would degrade so much so uh, that his trusted physician would actually end up more or less running the country. All the official documents would come his way, and he would bring them before the king. And the king, you know, in a state of being delirious, really, uh, would sign anything you put in front of him. So this guy was, uh, you know, in charge. He was treating the king as He was puppet. basically signing. He was choosing which the king would sign. Yeah, exactly. And wow. he made some terrible decisions like, you know, eliminating freedom of the press. Generally not a, a happy thing, especially at this time uh, in Denmark. Uh, there was a, a lot of forward-thinking kind of reform, you know, in the process and wanting to happen. And this is the guy who was keeping that from being effective. He would eventually get his comeuppance. And I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about Christian's childhood, because again, this becomes a very common thread among all of these rulers, or not all, but most of the rulers that we're going to be talking about for the next couple of episodes. Uh, he was very, uh, very sickly. Not, not with much physical prowess, I should say, right? So he was extremely self-conscious, had a lot of insecurity issues that he was dealing with. And as many children who do have these same um, symptoms, if you will, or problems or, or issues with their, you know, their, you know, physical form, he would lash out and he would act out in sometimes very violent ways. And that's what kind of sets him apart from maybe other children of this, this age group, right? Because he has more or less unlimited power. His father, uh, who was not the, the greatest role model, Frederick V, pretty much started losing his mind very late in his life. He never cared to be married in the first place. And when his, when his wife died, and you know, when Christian was only three years old, uh, he ended up marrying whoever was available, uh, who ended up being the very dominant, very controlling, very manipulative Juliana of Brunswick Wolfenbuttel, which hmm. is, by the way, the greatest title ever. Yeah. Anything that has Wolfenbuttle in it, I'm 100% blind. Yeah, it sounds almost like a character in a uh, period-like costume drama, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, she also bore him a son who was very seriously physically disabled. And, you know, it, it was just this whole family was having constant strife and issues. I'm curious, what was the, was there any relation between the first wife and the second wife? No, there was not. None? Totally unrelated. It just so happened that um, both of them had children who had serious problems. Yeah, and not to go on a tangent for a moment, but when you hear about these monarchs and you hear about these you know, stories of mental instability, it makes you kind of wonder where does that come from? And we know that there have been times throughout history where royal families are known for intermarrying because it yep. maintains the purity of the royal bloodline. And causes all kinds of problems. Exactly. But, you know, folks, first rule of genetics uh, is when you have the same... Uh, gene pool coming together, recessive traits tend to become more pronounced, including the traits that would lead to certain disorders. Yeah, exactly. But no, his mother was Louisa of Great Britain and Hanover, who was not related, as far as I know. Who knows what these royals, you, you sometimes have, you know, 14th cousins or whatever it is, right? They, right, they who are consistently related. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But as far as I know, they weren't related. Yeah. Um, but his father did not respond well to the life that he had and to the cards that were dealt him. And at the age of 42, uh, died a, a drunk and of himself suffering horrible mental illness. Uh, so this was not setting young Christian up for success. Uh, in addition to that, these people who were 
watching over him, even while his father was still alive, uh, his court advisors and, uh, you know, his, his chamberlain, who was terrible, who used to periodically beat him as a child as punishment. Wow. And beat him so severely that he would begin to foam at the mouth and fall to the ground. And I'm almost wondering if he was injured so horribly that he caused some sort of brain damage. Maybe. Uh, maybe he was also suffering from some sort of epileptic episode as a result of bruising and, uh, you know, the breaking of, of blood vessels on the brain. I mean, this is some scary stuff. Yeah, right? no kidding. And it's really horrible to, to think of any child put in this situation. But we kind of see the the foundation for everything else that he would he would end up doing. Uh, because his behavior was bizarre. Uh, he started in young adolescence going around with kind of a gang of, of kids, of, of children of similar age. And one of his favorite things to do was to walk through the streets of Copenhagen with a medieval spiked club and go around clubbing people indiscriminately, just running up and, and you know attacking somebody with a spiked club. And this is something that he, he took pleasure in. This is something that made him kind of laugh uncontrollably and hysterically you know it's very very bizarre behavior and yeah but then again if this is a kid who was routinely beaten it's almost like his way of acting out and getting revenge yeah it kind of makes sense doesn't yeah uh he also suffered from chronic and obsessive masturbation and i know you're gonna smirk (laughs) on your face i (laughs) i have nothing to say to that like what's the response to that oh (laughs) you know (laughs) So much to the to the dismay of his advisors and to his doctors that they feared that he would never be able to bear an heir. They believed that at that time that that much masturbation would cause him to become infertile. Well, this is also the same period of time where they believed uh, very much like women that you only had a set number amount of sperm. And that right. if you used all of it, then you were up a creek without a paddle science has proven at this point that's not the case that's not to say that women have a set amount of sperm they have a set amount of eggs yes but yeah i know what you, you were saying. <laughs> we have that they have a set amount of gametes yeah exactly <laughs> you know so it's funny how for some reason the past few episodes have come back to masturbation i have no idea why i guess it's just the time period we have talked about this way too much on this on this podcast. Unless maybe maybe we just need to devote a whole episode to <laughs> the history of masturbation. The history of masturbation. Actually, you know what? We're going to do a history of sex at some point. We might have to release that as like a premium content episode. I was only kidding, episode. but okay. I mean, if you really want to go there, sure. Just, uh, I'm just saying. You know, it is one of the kind of elephants in the room in our society. We don't like to talk about it, even though there are statistics that say that like over ninety percent of the uh, the public. I think over 90% of men, I don't know about the women, but partake in that activity. So uh-huh. it's, nah, it's... Are you getting a little uncomfortable, Brian? <laughs> I, I, it's not uncomfortable. I am just without words. I am without words to elaborate. That's all. Fair enough. Well, considering all these problems this young adolescent is having, uh, he ends up becoming king at the age of 17. Wow. Yeah, his father's dead now. Uh, he's become king. He's married to his 15-year-old cousin, uh-huh, alluding to what you were just talking about. Uh, and this is Caroline Mathilda of Great Britain and Hanover, who just first so, cousin. Uh, it doesn't state, but I, I mean, we'll assume first cousin because they don't make a modification to it. Probably yes. Yeah. Um, what I find fascinating that she was also sister of King George the Third. 
Oh, who also is, we're going to talk about next week. Yeah, another famous monarch who also suffered from mental illness. But rather than suffering the same infliction of her husband and and exhibiting the same kind of behavior, uh, she appeared to be completely and totally typical in her her behavior and development. She seemed to be fine, Uh, except for the fact that she was horribly, horribly unhappy. Mm. Uh, Christian was not happy with the arrangement at all. He not. forbid her to have any of her English retainers kept with her. So she had to, you know, have a whole new group and entourage of people to help her and take care of her, abandoning people that she had been with her entire life. And then coming into this this situation where her husband's a complete and total nut job, she was severely depressed. Sure. And Isolated, could, yeah. alone, yeah. And he could care less. Uh, in fact, he oftentimes went around sleeping with prostitutes and uh, young men rather than her and was very uh, upfront about it. In fact, he he maintained uh, two mistresses, if you will, because one of them is not a, a sis, is more of a mister. But uh, lovers. Yeah, lovers. Yeah. He, he, he maintained them throughout his entire marriage to her and uh, would sometimes run off and go on you know, trips that would last months, just out about in Europe, enjoying his, his time with, uh, with his lovers, you know, th- that kind of total uh, disconnect from the way that, that humans experience emotions, let alone the way that we, uh, we like to cling to our fidelity, the way we like to uh, stay with our partners and, and keep that a one-on-one relationship, right, is really indicative of something being wrong here sure this guy's got a lot of problems well yes definitely i also see another side of it though that you know his marital fidelity isn't necessarily a sign of his of his mental illness no but the willingness to uh do it so blatantly in front of his wife and then feel nothing as a result of it that speaks to, to having some some shortcomings yes. yeah you got to have some issues yeah that's that's the point i'm trying to get at what I find fascinating, though, is that so much of this behavior of his is very childlike. And obviously, I'm not talking about going around sleeping around with his wife, but more of his kind of antics that he's known for. Yeah, this, this feeling that you can pretty much do whatever you want because you are who you are. You have no limits in your power. Yeah, so let me, let me talk about some of his more bizarre behavior. Uh, he is recorded to have once thrown a bowl of sugar over the head of his grandmother. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just keep keep going because you've told me more about this. I don't mean to make light of it, but and even worse, at one point he stuck pins in the seat of her throne just to see her sit on them and then jump up in pain. Uh, he liked to keep people waiting at the dinner table for hours before he would actually show up, and then they could all begin to eat, and then he would just completely abruptly end the whole thing right in the middle of people eating. He'd be like, "All right, no, 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 we're done. Goodbye." Everyone go away. Everyone go away. You know, I can't quote. That's Don't quote me on that. But I'm pretty sure that's more or less what he's saying. Probably one of the most ridiculous is as he would have uh, visiting dignitaries, you know, approach him and and show respect <laughs> to him. About this today. Just... It's ridiculous. He would, they would bow and he would then leapfrog over them. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And the only thing he did, I think, perhaps more absurd was when discussing, you know, matters of of a, of state and affairs of, you know, serious consequence, you know, with like diplomats from foreign nations, he would, without warning, 
violently slap them across the face. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> just that, just the whole the absurdity of the it. The whole situation. Yeah. Your Majesty, how do you do? <laughs> I'm fine, thank you. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> there has got to be a video in that somewhere. I mean, yeah, absolutely ridiculous. And the masturbation would continue to be an issue, though, which I which I find fascinating. It's not just in his childhood, but as he grew older, there were moments where he would just start doing it, like in the throne room. And people would have to just kind of stop and, and leave. Like, he had no connection. No filter, basically. Yeah, he had, he had no way of realizing what his behavior would be doing and how it would be affecting anybody else around him. Um, so you, you can imagine, you know, important matters of state being interrupted by this obsession, by, by him having to do this. Uh, yeah, it it just keeps getting stranger and stranger as his life goes on because his mental state continued to deteriorate as he was getting older and it became less playful at that point and much more a severe mental breakdown kind of in the vein of his father. And that's when it becomes, stops becoming so funny without all these crazy and kooky activities that are going on, but rather um, some real sad stuff happening and resulting in some, some people getting, uh, getting killed. I mentioned earlier that Jonathan Frederick Strunze, I'm probably saying his last name wrong. I'm sure our Danish listeners will, will be correcting me in the next piece of listener feedback, but I'm okay with that. I'm acknowledging it right away. Uh, Strunze didn't just take over his mental care. He ended up taking over the entire freaking country. He pretty much made the moves that were needed for him to take power. He realized that he had a very, very sick person in his care and manipulated him and took advantage of it, which, you know, violates the Hippocratic Oath, obviously, uh, in addition to just being generally deplorable, right? But what I find even worse is that uh, he probably started out using it as a, as a tactic to gain power, but he started sleeping with Christian's wife who was more than willing to show some love and affection from another human being because her husband clearly gave her none. And I can imagine after the amount of brothels that this guy is known to have gone and just like taken over in the middle of a night. Wow. uh, She probably didn't want to be touched by him. Uh, But she starts this relationship with uh, Strunzi and yeah, it does not end well for either one of them. Interesting. Sometimes as he began to kind of progress further, he would be found in the morning just sitting in the corner of his room with just this blank expression on his face with no, you know, connection to where he was or what was happening. Just this, this kind of... Just a vacant stare. Yeah, it's just a vacant stare. He would then at times beat his head against the wall and wow. continually bash his head against the wall until sometimes he would draw blood. Uh, you know, he would just laugh so we're talking now clinical issues at this point he would laugh inappropriately and and you know terrible serious situations right he was disconnected from just about everything and they believe that he was also suffering from hallucinations from some of the other uh descriptions of him and uh, like i said he was pretty much locked up in his room he hardly ever left his room at that point and you know important documents that needed to be signed for the country came across him, he was told to sign it, and you know what he did? He signed it. He didn't hmm. ever read it, as far as we know. Or if he did, he was explained that this was the best course of action for Denmark, and you need to do it. So he did it. Um, 
things would eventually break down, however, for Stronzi because Christian's wife and his affair was not kept a very close secret. You know, King Christian was so far beyond in his mental state that somebody probably could have told them that, that they were sleeping together and he would have instantly forgotten about it. Huh. So they were very um, open about it in a way. And this was something that... Uh, but the scandal for what it meant for the country, though. Well, there's that. And it was also an opportunity for Christian's stepmother, uh, that good old Juliana of Brunswick Wolfenbuttel. She was very manipulative, uh, very much was looking for an opportunity to take control. And this was this was it. She pretty much outed these two lovers, uh, sentenced Estrancy to death, and uh, can they, she do that as the queen mother? I mean, she doesn't really have any power at that point, right? She didn't have power, but she was able to put whatever she wanted in front of Christian and he would sign it as well. Ah, that's exactly what ended up happening because that same tactic that Strunzi was using was also being used. Wow. Uh, by her. And they ended up uh, killing Strunzi and cutting off his right hand beforehand during the whole interrogation process. Uh, his body was then quartered and then broken on a wheel. Wow. And then he was beheaded. Yeah. Didn't end well for this guy. Probably shouldn't have taken advantage of a patient. Yeah. You know, that'd be a warning to anyone out there who uh, might be uh, considering some actions that will Jeez. lead to a malpractice suit. Uh, That's terrible. That's what's, horrific. Yeah. And what's most tragic is what happens to poor Caroline. Uh, because, you know, she was the innocent in all of this. She was brought in, married into this situation, cheated on you know, humiliated, find love in somebody else who's manipulating her for power. He ends up getting killed. She ends up getting arrested. Her titles end up getting stripped away. And then she is sent into exile where she dies three years later. Wow. So very, very sad. Um, Christian's stepmother would essentially take power at this point and put his half-brother in control. And uh, this would continue until Christian's only son that him and, and Caroline had uh, came of age and, uh, and was able to take, take over the throne. And uh, he, he, quote unquote, you know, reigned up until the time of his death, uh, this being Christian, that is, uh, even though he had no power. Everything was finally legally moved away from him. And uh, he was forced to more or less abdicate the throne without actually doing it. You know, it was... It was uh, he was still king in name, but everybody but that was knew. about it. Yeah, and uh, he was only occasionally brought out of his room when he was in these kind of, uh, you know, semi-lucid uh, states that he could hmm. be brought out and, and shown in public. But um, yeah, other than that, he was mostly just kind of locked up and eventually he would die. The circumstances surrounding him, his death are actually really interesting because during the Napoleonic Wars... Uh, Spanish troops actually invaded Copenhagen and he is said to have died of shock after seeing them out his window that he was in such a horrible condition that he was in such poor health and his mental state was so far gone that by seeing uh, the sight of of enemy troops in his city killed him wow. whether or not that's true we don't really know that that that's the that's the story. It seems anyhow. very poetic. It, it does kind of, but at the same time, it kind of makes sense. You yeah. know, somebody who has that much stress that's been put on them for all of those years uh, to, to die in such a way. Because, you know, he was not terribly old. He was 59, right? So he's approaching 
you know, retirement age these days. So I guess it actually was uh, yeah. relatively long life, but a tragic, sad one that, um, gosh, started with chronic masturbation and ended with uh, dying from fright. Yeah. You can't, again, you can't help but feel sorry for what these guys were going through. And it's funny because you bring yours up and there's, I see a lot of parallels to my next person. But before we get to that, looks like we have a visitor again. Ah, uh, the contacts. You know, this guy looks familiar. Uncomfortably familiar. Yes. Hello. I am... <coughs> Vlad. Vlad Depish. Oh my god, Vlad the Impaler? Dracula. The real Dracula. Are you... Uh, what's this is for real. Your... This is actually happening, right? What's What's that in your hand? I have brought um, a note. A note for you to, to read. I... Don't know my my PR guy Marty. He said it'd be good opportunity for me to come and just take it. Okay. <coughs> um, Vlad, would you like would you like a glass of water? I do not need water. Thank you. Uh, well, speaking of uh, crazy monarchs, uh, if you'd like to learn about that, including our guest, you can go to. Uh, audibletrial.com slash nerdonomy and you can sign up for a free trial for audible.com the best place to go sorry go ahead the best place to go to listen to audiobooks and uh, if you do that we will get a small commission off of that and uh, you can educate yourself and support nerdonomy at the same time you can also go to nerdonomy.com and click on the audible.com link on the right side of our page <coughs> <coughs> I'm sorry. Uh, do you have an inhaler? Um, yeah, you know, I think our one of our guests left one here. Here, <gasps> that is much better. Uh, what did you mean by crazy earlier? Uh, you know, you know Vlad. What? I think I think it's closing. You know what? The rift is closing. You better it get is. back through it. You gotta go quick. Go, 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 go. <sighs> you had to call him crazy. Well, I'm, he's I'm having sorry. a freaking asthmatic attack. You know, I, I get why some people call them Vlad the Inhaler. I'm just saying. Yeah, well, you know what we just did? He went off with the inhaler. We just contaminated the time stream. Again. It'll be fine. Remember when Churchill stole your iPhone? Do you remember yeah. the implications? Werewolves, yeah, I know. We I did, know! We didn't see it coming. We didn't see it coming. Uh, but you know what? I think everything will just... Will, It'll all work out. It I'm better. Sure it'll be fine. It better. Time has a way of doing that. Yeah. Um, we got to watch them more closely. I know. I'm serious. I know. But uh, seriously, by the way, going back to what we were talking about, you know, when you, when you talk about all these tendencies, particularly when you're talking about the childlike behavior, the brothels, yeah. this whole, it's essentially this uh, no consequence kind of reality that you've created for yourself. I couldn't help but think of my next person who is uh, the Emperor Zhang Di of China. He was one of the last emperors of the Ming Dynasty. Uh, he was born in 1491 as uh, Zhu Hu Zhao, and he reigned from 1505 to 1521. That means he would have been 14 when he ascended to the throne. So pretty young age, not without you know having some education and being you know kind of an adolescent, but still young for for a monarch. Yeah, he flat out ignored many of his duties as the as the emperor. 
Um, he had no interest in ruling. Again, that seems to be a common uh, trait we find among a lot of these monarchs. Um, and he was known for very much a childlike behavior, you know. Um, for example, uh, when a minister of government was brought to him, he refused to speak to them. <laughs> Just like, no, I don't want to, you know, <laughs> pretty much. I don't want to talk to him. Um, he squandered government money on his endeavors. Uh, uh, let me share a couple of the things he was known for doing. Um, he loved wild animals, you know, as any child would. Because there's a certain point where you need to stop, right? If you were, you know, a king and you had, you wanted to keep your child happy, you might make like a petting zoo, you know, in the palace. A little right? menagerie or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he built an entire palace for wild animals that he would let loose and then hunt down for amusement. Within the palace? Within the palace. Like the actual building itself, not just the grounds. Correct. Sure. <laughs> yes. This is starting out so well. Oh, it gets better. <laughs> uh, he also, because he liked to play house, essentially, he built an entire city block of a mercantile district in his palace ordered all of his servants and ministers at court to dress and act like merchants so that he can go pretend like he was going out shopping. Whoa. I am not making that, that up. That is 100% true. That is bizarre. Right? That That's like turning your living room into a movie theater with like a concession stand and hiring people to do that just so you can have the feeling like you're in a movie theater. Exactly. It's bizarre. Totally. Yeah. And, uh, of course, like we were talking about... Uh, he frequented brothels and uh, built his own palace called the 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 Bao Fang, the the Leopard's Chamber, which I believe was a uh, palace for his all of, just all of his women that he would you know shag. So uh, <laughs> that being the the technical term, I believe. So what that means we're up to three palaces at this point. We're up to the for the Forbidden City, the Forbidden right? City, right? Yeah. Right, the palace in there, right? We've got okay. the palace of of the wild animals that he would go and hunt. Palace of wild right? animals. If right, we want to count the mercantile district, that might be that's actually in the palace, so we'll we'll forget that. But then there's also, of course, the, the brothel palace. Yeah. So uh, he's already built three entire palaces out of the uh, out of the government's money at this point. Doing a real good job of being responsible. Um, yeah, you know, and it's kind of like taking all of Vegas <laughs> and turning it into dear you know, God different thank, palaces. Thank God Vegas did not exist at this point because <laughs> if he hadn't heard about Vegas, he would have just invaded exactly. and taken over, and he exactly. would have he would have been the king of Vegas. Well, let's talk about that for a second, too, because he decided he wanted to be a military man. So he declared himself general of the entire army of China. Uh, and he wanted to, he raised an army to uh, to catch a, a prince who had been a rebel. And uh, only to find out after he had amassed this large army that the prince had already been caught. <laughs> so what does he do? He releases the prince so he can go and catch him. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just ridiculousness, right? When I hear this kind of behavior, you know who actually I think about? And it's really kind of sad. I think about Justin Bieber. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though, because if you look at some of the... Not that I'm saying I'm a, I'm a believer or anything like that, but if you look at the headlines of the, the, the type of behavior he's been exhibiting, this, again, this kind of no-consequence environment with... I mean, he's been dealing with a lot of bad things with drugs and alcohol, and now yeah. they're saying that he's been indicted for robbery. That just broke while we were recording. Uh, been going to clubs and doing, you know, very naughty things with, uh, with women. Uh, not that sex isn't a bad, you know, that's you no know, teach their own, but nevertheless, you know, he's a, he's a pop idol and he's an idol for, for children, for children. Yeah. 
it speaks to me this like if you're raised in a point in time where you're given all this privilege without any sort of moral grounding you may actually have this this strong sense of dissidence between consequence and reality and there was a joke that was made a couple months ago where this one rich person they used a defense called this person had affluenza which was the uh <laughs> the condition where he was so rich he just he had no sense of consequence and he That's could do whatever he wanted and he basically committed but this was like he committed manslaughter and they tried to use that as a defense and people were shaming this kid for trying to make that defense but at the same time when you see historical evidence of these things happening with monarchs, I kind of wonder is like maybe there is such a thing as this that because you're raised with this and because you don't ever have this sense of needing to learn right and wrong or learn that you can't have certain things, that those boundaries are never set up in your psyche and that you just you just go through life essentially, you know, narcissistic and sociopathic, right? Because you can pretty much get whatever you want no matter what. So yeah, suffering from Bieber-esque tendencies. Essentially is what it is. Yeah. And I can't help but think about what Roxy said a couple weeks ago on Nerds on Film, which is, again, the sense of narcissism, that you pretty much everything becomes just a, an, a, a All possession. All about you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You, you you can take anything you want, anything that's within your, your, your grasp. Yeah. Uh, and it turns out he was also, he was not the wisest king, um, or wisest Shocking. emperor. Shocking! Um, it was not uncommon, by the way, uh, in the imperial courts of China to have eunuchs present uh, they were believed to be you know even servants that, that held a certain amount of wisdom that they were able to to help kind of maintain the order of of the court and uh, there was one eunuch named uh, Lu Jin who was the leader of the eight tigers the eight tigers was the order of eunuchs within the the palace and uh he basically squ uh, swindled the emperor out of 37 million pounds of gold and silver Wow. He was a wise 37 eunuch. million pounds. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's ridiculous. You gotta watch out for those eunuchs. You've seen Game of Thrones, right? I, I'm not a Game of Thrones person. I'm oh, sorry. I know. Brian. I know. I'll take this crap. This nerds on history. I know. I don't have HBO. <sighs> no excuse. Blu-ray, man. You got a Blu-ray player. Mm, yeah. All right. Just I'll catch him. up one of these days. Watch out for those eunuchs. Yeah. At this point, I mean, unfortunately, he died young, too. He died by age 30 because he was drunk. He got so drunk that while he was uh, on this lake boating, you know, he, he fell off the boat and drowned, basically. So, Probably um, blitzed out of his mind. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there are a lot of historians who acknowledge that the precedent that the Zhang the Emperor set pretty much led to the, the, the fall of the Ming Dynasty because there were other monarchs who said, oh, well, he can get away with this. Well, I can behave the same way, just as irresponsibly, you know? I, just, I do think it's worth mentioning one quick thing about the Chinese imperial monarchy, which is that very much how uh, in Japan, how there is this divine right to, to rule, the Chinese had the mandate of heaven. You know, they believe that there is some spiritual reason why this emperor is meant to be leading the country. When you see that and you see the emperor completely misbehaving, you know, it, it calls into question a lot of those those beliefs and those structures, right? So, of course... Now, the Ming Dynasty completely failed, you know, or set this set them on a path for a complete failure uh, because of this kind of things. And when you're entrusted with power, you need to be responsible with it, right? As a wise man once said, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> yes, folks, I went there. I made a Spider-Man reference on our show. Well, it's very topical right now. It's, it's, very, it's very topical, right? Who do you have next, sir? Well, you know I love Egypt. 
<laughs> Shocking. Undeniable. Yeah, but this is actually later Egypt, though. Much later Egypt. This is the last monarch of Egypt. I'm not talking about the pharaohs of Egypt. Uh, I'm not referring to the pharaonic period. I'm referring to the modern period. And King Farouk, who was overthrown and deposed by Nasir, who would later lay a foundation for Egypt to become what it has recently broken away from. For context, when when is this we're talking about? So we're talking about, well, his birth was in 1920, February 11th, 1920. Okay, so very 20th century, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and he uh, he's kind of like my other choice, Christian the Seventh. only uh, this was pretty much all of his own device and choice. I think he had definitely some tendencies from childhood that pointed to him having serious behavioral issues as he grew up. But a lot of it was, I think, him making bad choices in his life and propelling them further and further along his, the entire course of his life, upping the ante every single time. Hmm. Because uh, this guy, like you you were mentioning uh, earlier in terms of kind of like a, you know suffering from affluence, right? He had so much money, so much wealth, so much time on his hands... He didn't know what to do with it, but to behave like a nasty little child. And he continued to do that up to the point of his death. A very early death, mind you. Uh, but not shocking when you find out the kind of abuse that he put his body through. Mm. And again, we're bringing it back to the period um, in which he, he reigned. And kind of the context within the country at the time. Let's understand a little bit about what's going on. Because sure. you know Egypt was heavily influenced by... The British at this time. Sure. Well, the British had a, had a pretty much of a stronghold on the Middle East at this point. Exactly. Right? And while it was still an independent country, the British were very much invested. Yeah. And uh, the uh, the king at that time was pretty much a puppet to, to the British government. Sure. Uh, his father really not all that much yeah. different. And uh, it resulted in them becoming extremely wealthy, though. Yes. Before you move further, I just want to make sure I qualify myself. Yes, folks, I do know that Egypt is in North Africa. Uh, I am well aware of that. But because of the heavily Arabic influence that took place with Egypt over the Middle Ages and all the way to the later period. Brian, you don't have to explain yourself. The Middle East is considered North Africa. Okay, cool. Yeah, it, from the from the actual definition of the term Middle East, North Thank Africa you. is included within that. Cool. Thank you for clarifying. Good. So you're good. But cool. you know what? I'm sure somebody would have brought it up anyhow. So clarification to them as well. Yes. Uh, back to back to Farouk here, because you know when you have a country whose ruling party is pretty much in it for the money, it's not a huge surprise when you start getting behavior like uh, like this. And he uh, he was very much spoiled. His mother. Uh, was the one to kind of give him whatever he wanted. His father, on the other hand, was very stern and strict. Uh, his father was uh, very fond of the letter F, as all of his children's names began with the letter F. Well, would... George Foreman kind <laughs> of behavior, right? <laughs> very much, very similar, actually. Yeah, there's a little bit of George Foreman in this guy. Um, Though George Foreman was not nearly as much of an egomaniac as I think as, as this guy was, but... Uh, yeah, his, his father was not very well. He prefer to lock his wives up in his harem. Um, he was obsessed with cleanliness to the point where he would make his servants go through his room looking for the tiniest specks of dirt hmm. to be eliminated. Um, he was obsessed with smells. So he kept an ample supply of cologne nearby and anything that he found to be offensive, 
he would kind of spray with cologne. Uh-huh. This is this is Farouk's father that we're talking about, Faud. Uh, and he uh, he was just he was not quite all there. His own brother-in-law so actually. We're talking, like, we're talking some pretty serious neuroses then. Yeah, I mean he he was so kind of offensive in his behavior that in uh, 1898 his own brother-in-law shot him in the chest, in the leg, and in the throat. Wow. Um, Godfather the, style. Yeah. Well, the bullet in the throat actually it was too dangerous to remove, so he left it where it was, and it, the wound healed around it. And he was known to kind of make these strange, kind of uncontrollable uh, utterances all the time, of which everybody was ordered to ignore them. You were to bring no attention to it. So this guy, you know, he had his problems, and his son Farouk would really suffer from it. He was pretty much the only boy. He didn't have many other male influences around him. He uh, he mostly played with his with his sisters, and his father didn't really care for this all that much. He wanted him to be a strong man, uh, to the point where he would you know wake him up in the middle or of the mo- of the very wee hours of the morning, forcing him to do things like you know gymnastics and stuff like that. He was actually quite intelligent. Uh, for the most part, there were some subjects in school he just wasn't all that interested in. Um, and being that he was, you know, very wealthy, he just kind of stuck to the things he liked and the ones that he didn't like, he just kind of ignored. And he discovered at a pretty young age that, uh, well, education was somewhat appealing to him, racing cars was far more fun. Hmm. An obsession that uh, would nearly kill him later in his life when he suffered a severe car accident an obsession that would develop to the point where he forbid anyone else to drive a red car. Really? Yeah. Huh. He, he wanted to drive the red, fast kind of sports car, and he prevented anyone else from his kind of entourage and royal advisors and family members from uh, driving anything red. So there's clearly some strange behavior here. Uh, he was also very emotionally unstable. He cried a lot as a child over things that, while maybe being sad, didn't require that kind of hysterical uh, reaction to. And uh, is repeated, or sorry, is reported to have actually taken a cat by the tail and smashed it against the wall until it died. So some disturbing behavior as a child. Uh, his father eventually ended up sending him to the Royal Military Academy in Britain. Uh, but he was there for just a very short time, only a little more than a year, because his father died when he was 16, hmm. forcing him to come back and never gaining any of that kind of discipline that he probably desperately needed in the military academy. Uh, instead, uh, he was he was brought back and, and made king. And his behavior continued. Uh, for a time, he would go on, you know, grand trips and tours, touring within his own country, touring within Europe. And um, one of the ladies-in-waiting to his mother, he took a a big fancy to, the young Safina Zulfikar, who he ended up actually renaming Farida. Again, this fixation with the F names that his his father had carried over to the point where she was literally renamed so that she could fit in with all the other Fs. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah, very bizarre. Very, very strange behavior. And uh, he loved her dearly in the very beginning of the relationship. He used to give her presents all the time, take her everywhere with him. Uh, But he quickly grew bored of her. And this was a behavior that he would continue his entire life. They They really hated each other. I mean, violently hated each other, I'm afraid. To the point where there's probably some very severe domestic abuse going on. 
And he just said, you know what? Screw it. I'm young. I'm the king. I don't care about this woman anymore. Whatever. She's my, my wife. That's cool. Went out to nightclubs, started sleeping around, um, you know, would eat caviar for breakfast, like tons of it, just straight from the can, just open up one after the one after the other. So basically he had like the college dorm mentality at this point. Yeah. And he was a horrible glutton because at a very short amount of time, he, his weight ballooned and just exploded. Uh, And he would eat lobster, steak, chicken, pigeon in huge quantities. Uh, He's reported to have actually drunk at least 30 bottles of soda a day. Wow. So, you know, just straight sugar going into his body. Uh, How he was not a diabetic, I have absolutely no idea. Type 2 diabetes was written all over this guy. But some of his most bizarre behavior has to do with the Cairo Zoo. Because, uh, again, reportedly, he woke up from a terrible nightmare about lions and decided to go down to the Cairo Zoo with his gun and shoot all the lions. Just shot them all dead. Wow. Yeah. That's all I can really say to this. It's just really absurd behavior. Yeah, and he indiscriminately spent his money. Any, anything he wanted. Uh, he had more than 100 cars. Like I said, he loved to race cars. He had yachts. He had airplanes. He had villas. Very extravagant. Yeah. Very, very extravagant. And um, he uh, he was also a well-known kleptomaniac. <laughs> he actually hired well-known pickpockets, people who, who made their living on the street, and had them teach him how to pickpocket. He stole Winston Churchill's watch. Seriously. Seriously. Not only that, but the uh, the Shah of Iran, upon his death, his body toured much of the Arab world, including in Egypt, and he um, he stole the sword, the ceremonial sword off of the body, his sash, his belt, his medals. He plundered the coffin. What a dickhead! Yeah, and they didn't get it back until like the 1980s. <laughs> wow. So. You know, absolute lunacy. This guy was a nutter, and he—not well, just—not just that, but just no <laughs> conscience, right? Exactly. Real, real nasty piece of work. I mean, I can just keep going on with other examples, but I'm not gonna because uh, it just it it snowballs right his entire life, and eventually um, he would be deposed. He would be overthrown, like I said, by by you know Nasir who would take over the country and, you know, create a a military state in Egypt that would exist up until, you know, the the fall of Mubarak, essentially, right? So this was something that um, wasn't a great situation, but this guy wasn't really doing anything. And at the fall and collapse of Britain's empire and with the creation of the state of Israel and the Israeli-Arab war that happened, his popularity declined so much as a result of all of this there was no doubt that he would eventually be removed from power. Yeah, and plus you're dealing with now post-World War II. You're talking about an age where monarchies are starting to lose power or just go away altogether, right? And yeah. so he was an unfortunate case of really just being king at the wrong time, right? Yeah. I mean, if if this had happened 50 years earlier, yeah, he would have been certainly been either deposed, but he would have also been succeeded by some other king, right, at this yeah. point. So yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, this guy... 
he divorced his wife finally this poor woman he finally divorced her which is the best thing that ever happened to her in a million years and pursued a string of love affairs with women who seem to get younger and younger and younger all the time really disturbing he would eventually marry one of them who was you know just 16 years old and uh, have his only son with her uh, who she would eventually divorce him as well as they were living in exile in, in Italy. And he smuggled out of the country, you know, all these great big boxes of his supposed belongings inside were actually gold bars, uh, pretty much the material wealth of his entire uh, regime huh. packed up into these boxes so that he could live pretty. And he continued to live this crazy affluent life that he always lived without ruling his own country. He didn't care about that. It wasn't interesting to him anymore. He could go to Italy and have fun in Italy. And that's exactly what he did. Eventually, in, uh, in March, on March 17th, 1965, he was sitting in a restaurant, eating oysters and lobsters and lamb and just living it up, right? Having a great old time uh, until right after midnight, he drops dead. I'm guessing of a heart attack because of all the food he was eating. Uh, official cause of death was a cerebral hemorrhage. Ah. But yeah, the, he was huge at this point. He had really expanded and blown up. And uh, there is belief, though, that it was actually General Nasser who had him assassinated, that they put poison in his lobster and killed him. I think it's far more likely that years and years of abuse to his body... It just gave out. Yeah, that sounds more likely. And that's good old Farouk, <laughs> last yeah. king of Egypt. Well, well, I'm going to end with another F for tonight. Though this one, <laughs> this one is definitely an exception uh, to our, the rule of what we've established tonight. And what we're talking about is Fyodor I of Russia. And so he was born in 1557. He reigned from 1584 until his death in 1598. Well, and by reigned, you know, I use quotes because at one point he wasn't even really ruling. Keep in mind, he was 27 when he assumed the throne. So he was a full-grown adult at this point in time. Very different than everyone else we've talked about tonight. Exactly. However, I would want to mention who his father was, which was Ivan IV. Of course, we know him better as Ivan, Ivan the, Terrible. the Terrible. Yes. Oh, love He was it. a homicidal maniac. Which, you know, really make the best fathers. Fyodor was not really all that evil like he didn't really do all of the things that we've talked about tonight where you know he lived this extravagant lifestyle or exhibited childlike behavior well he did but he didn't do it in the way where he was acting out or testing boundaries or living without these boundaries he was gentle he was quiet actually he was a very devoutly religious person you know but he just had no interest in ruling russia at all and he wouldn't have ruled russia he was the second son you know, it wasn't if it wasn't for the fact that Ivan straight up murdered his older brother, <laughs> uh, leaving Fyodor the only possible heir to the throne at that point. Things would have happened very differently. You know, he would have just been this quiet prince who just you know lived a very normal life. You know, unfortunately, that didn't happen. He was forced with this burden of having to become the czar. And uh, but I mean, Ivan Ivan knew that. Ivan knew that with his behaviors and. What I, what I can only assume in this case, it might be somewhere on the spectrum of autism or maybe even, maybe honestly just being mentally challenged from birth. Um, 
Ivan knew this and knew that there were some concerns for the country. So his last act as czar before he died, uh, he established a five-man advisory council hmm. to uh, aid Fyodor in his, his rule as the czar. It's also possible that he just was completely and totally disinterested with the idea of running the country. Yeah, exactly. That he had his other other agenda that was there and that he wanted to participate in that he was happy to do, which was his, his faith and his beliefs, and was just kind of like indifferent to the running of the country. He knew, because his father had set up a council, that they would take care of things for him. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely that too. What I do want to mention though is there was some political intrigue that took place, of course, because when you have a weak monarch, you, you can't help but notice that, of course, people are going to try to, to vie for having the power behind the throne, right? So in that uh, five-person advisory council, uh, they're made up of boyars, and boyars are, is basically the Russian word for a prince. And uh, it was the, uh, the czar's uncle, uh, Nikita Romanov, which, or sorry, not Romanov, uh, Romanovich, I should say. Zakarin Yurev, Prince Ivan Fyodorovich uh, Mislavsky, Prince Ivan uh, Petrovich Shusky, and Bogdan uh, Yakovlevich Volsky, and Boris Fyodorovich Gudinov. And Robert. <laughs> and Bob, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Boris Fyodorovich Gudinov was the brother in law of the czar and he comes he plays a very key uh, part in this whole political drama that took place because in this council two factions started to form unfortunately uh half were supported by boris and ivan no by ivan i mean ivan the fourth or by maybe actually i might be referring to prince the prince ivan my apologies uh but the other half was supported by the nobility of the country and the population as well uh, by this point in time russia was essentially a parliamentary monarchy that they, they had the Duma uh, in their place who had granted who had a lot of control over regulating the country and the monarch was you know very much the way that president is now you know that he's got certain ceremonial duties and he's got a lot of power but he shares it with other people right he's not an absolute monarch by any stretch but definitely a, a very active head of state you know so basically what ended up happening was that Boris was the one who ended up ruling the country he was the one who was eventually empowered by the the Duma to act as the regent, while Fyodor was just kind of off doing his own thing, and to the point where even British the British called him the Lord Protector of Russia, hmm. uh, which is very funny because this is around the same time or just before uh, the same time, or maybe fifty years later, Charles the First would be uh, beheaded in England, and they would call Cromwell the Lord Protector of England. You know this idea that there's a regent who is ruling instead of the of the monarch. Even though Ivan had no interest in politics, basically, he did take a wife, who was Irina, and it was basically one of the things that makes this significant to the political drama is that a lot of his political opponents opponents tried to have uh, Fyodor divorce Irina, because if she divorced Irina, Boris would no longer be the brother-in-law of the Tsar, would have, he would lose all of his political ranking. Uh, and they tried to claim that she was barren, which is not true um, at all. So, like I said, ultimately that didn't work out because Boris ended up becoming the regent of the country. It's also interesting to note that Fyodor's condition wasn't viewed as a bad thing in Russia. In fact, but in this point in the 16th century, Fyodor's having this kind of childlike behavior was considered a, a kind of wisdom, you know? Uh, this is a country that's very deeply involved in the Russian Orthodox Church, you know? And 
there's the teachings of the New Testament that talk about having a mind like a child. And so they called this kind of behavior foolishness in Christ. Uh, the actual word is yorodstravo, uh, and a person exemplifying it is a yorodvi. Uh, and these people were respected, if not even revered, you know, because of this, this different outlook they had on the world. Um, so it's not to say that people didn't know about Fyodor's condition, nor did, did, did it say that he was shamed for having it at all. Um, in fact, I don't even know if he belongs on this list because not only is he, he not really crazy, I think he's actually the smartest of all of them. Yeah. He well, simply decided not to rule, which I think is probably a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, so there, there is one reason why he kind of gets the name, but it's even again, I don't even, I'm sure it's all all that relevant. Like I said, we've established already he was very devout in his faith. So what he liked to do instead of ruling the country is he just liked to go and tour the country and like to go to monasteries and churches. And his favorite thing in the world to do was to ring the bell uh, that was to know that you used to call the faithful to mass. And it was because of that that he earned the title Fyodor the bell ringer, hmm. you know? Um, and there is one thing he did achieve because he was so devoutly religious his one achievement as czar is that he actually got the patriarch of Moscow to act as his own independent uh, portion of the Eastern Orthodoxy. Now, uh, I don't think, I, I, the Russian Orthodox Church had existed at this point, but I think this officially established it as its own uh, autonomous unit within the Orthodoxy. Uh, and what that means is the patriarch of Moscow holds the same ranking as the five ancient patriarchal heads, the ones of uh, of Rome, Antioch, Alexandria, Constantinople, and Jerusalem, which is a, a very big deal. And then this might have been one of the first times in the Russian Orthodox or in the Eastern Orthodoxy where we had that kind of break from the Greek Orthodoxy in that regard. I could be wrong on that. I will say my knowledge of the Eastern Orthodoxy is not as good as my knowledge of Catholicism, but I do think that sounds pretty, pretty sound. And so Fyodor just kind of lived his life, you know, and because he had Boris as the regent, you know, he eventually just died in 1598. And uh, at that point, Boris, because they didn't have an, an, an actual heir, Boris actually inherited the throne. He he became Boris the first hmm. as the czar. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I mean, uh, you almost think that some of his behavior, like you're saying, is indicative of somebody who's suffering from some sort of developmental delay. And uh, to have Ivan the Terrible as your father. Yeah. But recognize that his child quite possibly could have had special needs and then put into effect a council who would keep him safe and keep him in power. Maybe being a sociopath, lunatic, doesn't means you can't also be a good dad. Yeah, you know. Isn't that kind of strange? It is kind of strange, yeah. There's like a moral, there's like a lay at the end of this whole dark, very twisted tunnel. Yeah, know? yeah. It's almost like, I mean, I'm not saying that people should go out there and make, you know, Ivan the Terrible Father's Day cards. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but <laughs> Nerds on history. Father's Day cards. <laughs> Look for him, folks. It's going to happen next year. You watch. But um, at the very least, he was able to recognize that his son needed needed help and assistance. I love Fyodor. I, I think this is uh, I think this is the greatest one on the list. I, I want to clarify. He's not crazy. No, he. I, I agree. I mean, he goes historically for being that, but I don't think he is at all. I think this was just a a, a case of a of a special needs Individual, person who just yeah. happened to be a very high ranking member of society. You know. Exactly. So let's let's we're going to clarify that to all of our listeners right now. What was the name of his of his his brother-in-law's his name brother -in -law? was, was uh, Boris Fyodorovich Gudinov. Well, it turns out he actually was good enough to run the country, wasn't he? <sighs> Eric, come, come on. on, you can't pass that up. <sighs> uh, 
You can't pass that. We're wouldn't, on a, we're on a light be, note right now. You can't pass that. It up. wouldn't be a Nerds in History episode if you didn't make a bad pun. Exactly. Hey, what, what do you mean bad? Uh, no, just pun. Let's just pun. Anyway, this has been a, a beefy episode. We got another one to do after this. We got we, five more to, to go with, and there'll be a surprise for next week. Yes. But we did kind of reveal one of them. We did, but we've got some other surprises in store for you. Indeed. And uh, you know what, folks? Let's keep this conversation going. I'd love to hear who you think are some of the, the crazy monarchs from history that you'd like to share. We didn't even share who this person was from, did we? We didn't even get share who, this, who we got this feedback from, did we? We, we didn't. You know what? We'll do it next week. Yeah, we'll share that uh, next week. So sorry about that. You know who you are. You listener. You. Indeed. So please share with us. Tell us who you think uh, your craziest monarch is and do so through our social media and also through our personal twitter accounts i'm at brian moriarty i'm at the brickmont and uh you know folks of course you can uh, go to our website nerdonomy.com where you can drop us a little listener feedback uh, we love to, to hear it and we will shout you out on the show as you can hear every single week uh and you know what's right near listener feedback just happens to be a little button that says donate you click on that gives us a little something helps keep us going and you know what we really appreciate it folks as always we love you stay nerdy and then tune into us next week same nerd time same nerd channel nerdonomy.com bye-bye eric yeah did you see the wheel leave no not now that you mention it no I didn't see him leave it. I wonder if he's still here. Look under the table. <laughs> yeah, he's still here. He's still here. Okay. <laughs>